87%, yeah, that's the percentage of all real estate agents that get in the business today that'll be gone in two years. Let me tell you something, why is there so much turnover in real estate? Because it isn't easy. And because most people don't know exactly what they need to do to get to the next level. Now look, regardless of whether you're brand new to the industry or, you've, or you're a team leader, you've got 40 people on your team and you just wanna to get to the next level. If you're doing 10 transactions a year, you wanna to get to 25. You're doing 500 transactions a year, you wanna to get to 1,000. You're at 1,000, you wanna to get to 10,000. Let me tell you something, you need the right coach. Why? Because Club Wealth is the only coaching company on the planet that will literally guarantee that you will double your income or make at least an extra $100,000 your first year coaching with us, or we will give you 100% of your investment back. This is for people of all levels. Click the link below, sign up for the appropriate tier level, and let's get you a strategy session today. And I promise you, I 100% guarantee you, promise you, that you will walk away with a heart full of gratitude for the time that we took for you because you got so much value out of that call. Schedule your strategy session today. I promise you'll be glad you did. Sign up for a strategy session at clubwealth.com slash strategy session. Welcome back to Club Wealth TV, guys. Michael Hellickson here, uh, founder and CEO of Club Wealth. I'm with Kyle Robinson, good friend of mine. He's also one of our coaching clients. He's also a Club Wealth coach. Kyle is in tier seven, sorry, tier six. Uh, sorry, on his way to tier seven. Kyle's in tier six, which means he's doing 500 to 1,000 transactions a year, uh, which is insane. I mean, you think about that production. That's a, just a crazy amount of production. Uh, but what's really interesting about Kyle, it's not just that he's doing these crazy numbers in production. It's how he's doing it. It's how he's re-energizing his team members. It's how he's getting them to double down on their production, their activity. Um, and not only that, I just I, we're just going to chat today about just kind of stuff that's going on in the market. You know, I want to talk about, we were talking about commercial space here a moment ago. I want to just kind of touch on that for a second. But first, let's let's start with what, first of all, Kyle, welcome. Thank you for, for doing this today. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on, man. I always look forward to, to having these conversations and seeing how things are going. So, Well, I think it's fun to, to have conversations with people like you that are producing at a really, really high level that, um, that do it maybe a little bit differently than others. And, and not only that, you're in a smaller market, um, you know, you're in, um, in Iowa and Illinois, I mean, now you've expanded into Illinois, but but previous to that, just in in Iowa, you were doing what seven hundred fifty transactions a year just in little uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, right? Yeah, so we're in the on the border of Iowa and Illinois in the Quad Cities, but yeah, over seven hundred transactions the last two years, um, roughly. Our our population base is a little over three hundred thousand on the main market that we work in. So and then uh, as we started to get a, a good percentage of the market share. On our local market, we started to expand out to other other markets, and we're, so we're in four other markets outside of our main one right now. We're just uh, slowly gauge, gaining agent count there and uh, getting numbers up. So, well, that's huge. And you think about that; you're doing that with three hundred thousand people is not a huge market. I mean, I think it's it's great, but it's not it's not a massive market. So to be able to do that inside that market is awesome. And now I love that you're expanding out. Well, I want to touch on that a little bit more later. Um, but I do love that you're expanding out as well. So to, let's let's back up. Talk to us about team member production because obviously, you know, everybody says, oh, I want to get my guy that did, you know, four deals last year. I'm going to have him doing, you know, 10 deals a month. And I, it's just, I think, you know, first of all, is that even realistic? Let's talk about that. And, and, and then tell us what is realistic, what's possible and how are you getting us there? 
Yeah. So we've always, one thing that we did realize in 2022 is that actually we were able to do the same amount of production with less agents. Not that we necessarily wanted that to happen, but it's about diving deeper with our agents and making sure that they're more productive. So we, we've always been roughly a little over 20 units per agent as far as an average count. We really, our goal is to get them up above 24 units. Um, but if you look at the national average from a lot of these big, big teams or, you know, national average below four or five units a year. And then some of these big teams at scale, you know, probably anywhere between 11 to 13 units um, per team member. Right. So we're very proud of staying over 20 units per team member and certainly making sure that we have the right people on our roster that are here to help our clients and and make sure that we keep you know striving for excellence. So, you know, you just nailed it, though, too, because, uh, you know, a big team at scale, generally speaking, a lot of those bigger teams are doing, like you said, about 11 to 13 transactions per year per agent. Um, you know, the number one team on the planet last year uh, was at 14 transactions per agent per year, which is really, really low. Now, everybody wants, you know, every time I talk to agents, they're always telling me, oh, well, I'm, just, I'm only going to have 10 agents on my team. And they're all going to do 70 deals a year and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like... Bro, like clearly you've never built the team before. Clearly I have no idea what you're getting yourself into because that's just not realistic. I will uh, tell you when you're a small team though, Michael, don't you feel like it's like when you got three people like, yeah, man, we can rock out four to six deals a month. But then once you start to get a little bit larger, yeah, that I can tell you that my expectations when I started expanding the team had to change yeah. um, based on the reality, right? I was that one of those guys that thought we could put up, you know, six deals per agent per month and found out that that was not uh, realistic, you know, if I gets that 1.7 deals per month that was a lot more realistic so absolutely well and to your point though you know a smaller team let's say i'm a you know four agent team right well that all sounds good and yeah you can have really high per agent productivity as a four person team and that's fantastic right up until your top two guys leave at the same time which is always the case that they don't just leave one at a time right and then all of a sudden 50 percent of your production just walked out the door and your expenses stayed the same <laughs> and yeah. that's the thing that typically I think the team leader at that point's working pretty hard right whereas a lot yeah. of them, those team leaders are definitely probably more the like 50 to 70 percent of the productions theirs yeah uh, they're just fighting for those other deals so, i agree the exact opposite now i i'm by very, very small percentage of what gets put on the board. And it's all about the people that we have on the roster right now and pouring into them, right? The only way that we win is if they win. So, And that's, I love that. And I'm really glad we're having that conversation because I think that there's this misnomer. I was just talking to uh, Jim Ross about this uh, this morning. And uh, we were having this conversation about, you know, where people really have this perception that the bigger the team, the more the headaches. And I'd love to hear your take on that. So in total, uh, if I'm correct, you said you had 21 people on the team now, six six new ones coming on board. Is that right? I'm talking. No, no, no. So that's 21 agents in class right now. So 21 in class. New agents. So we focus okay. a lot on new agents. So right now we have 32 agents on our team. Um yeah, so that's 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 the makeup of what we have right now. But to get to get to, to, I guess this is the thing. As I started to grow the team, it was a really close knit circle, which it still is. But the reality is, as we started adding more and more people on there, um, it, it, making sure that we have the same atmosphere and environment is going to change, right? And it's one of those things that we have to understand. It is going to get more chaotic, um, but I'm a firm believer of making sure we have the right people in place. So I'm willing to. Um, use company resources and money to make sure that we have the right staff, right? We don't run very lean. We run with the right amount of people, the right departments, 
we make sure that our agents get what they need, right? And that's something that we really focus on. Don't get me wrong, over time, we have been able to build out departments um, here stateside. And then we've been able to take those departments after these people have done an amazing job of setting them up and, you know, move them overseas, right? So we utilize um, both stateside employees and overseas. And we, we do have a pretty decent size back of the house, but uh, it allows for us to do the things that we need to do and really streamline processes, right? I love where you said, though, that you started off with those people and systems, those teams, those units, if you will, in-house, local, and you had really good people build those systems, build those teams, and then you were able to slowly begin to outsource some of that stuff, move those local people to other projects, other things that went, you know, and grow other units uh, as as you were then able to save money over here by moving a lot of that overseas. And, you know, I think that people... I think everybody sees that, right? It's kind of like they see, okay, well, this is where Kyle's at now. And so I'm going to do the things Kyle's doing now. And the reality is they don't want to be doing what you're doing now. What they need to do is they need to do what you did to get to where you're at. And then when you're, when they are where you're at, then they can be doing what you're doing now. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. You know, it's, I didn't take, I didn't take the elevator. I took the stairs and that's why when I practice what I preach, because everything that I'm doing in my team, I can tell them that I personally did it myself. You know, I didn't come into the business with a huge marketing budget. I worked open houses and open houses allowed me to create revenue. So that way I was out, able to go out and get different types of opportunity. Uh, but it was all through hard work and taking the stairs, not the elevator, man. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, nothing was given to me by any means. So. Well, and I think that's helpful too. You know, it's funny, you see a lot of people try and take over dad's team or you see people, you know, that kind of, they they shortcut the process in some way and that costs them in learning, right? That costs them an experience and and that, that can create challenges downstream. So, okay, so let's back up. So we've got, you said roughly 32 people on the team and a whole bunch more people coming on board. You're going to have a big first quarter with new people coming on the team, all this kind of stuff. Um, what are you doing to number one, recruit number two, what are you doing to onboard and train these people so that you can get them productive? Yeah, certainly, you know, um, we're, we're at EXP, so we're definitely incentivized to bring people into the brokerage. So we do leverage, um, people that are bringing people into the company and we help and expect that they're going to help with the process. Then we also have a head of agent development and growth. Um, and we use LMS learning management software systems to make sure that we have a pretty, um, our SOPs for onboarding are very straight to the point, um, very detailed, and it's, you know, play-by-play -play book. But I will tell you, a lot of stuff has changed over the last couple of years, right? Whereas business was super plentiful, um, really arguably the easiest real estate market in the last 10 years. Now agents are having to start in and do more work. We're getting our new agents on the phone immediately. Their main focus is learning objections, getting appointments set. And then we're worrying about all the other stuff. We do have a streamline on a 14 day boot camp, but our main focus right now with these new agents coming in is get them on the phone, get them on the phone and get them learning that it's not always going to be easy, right? The boring, mundane, the stuff you don't want to do is the stuff that actually pays you, right? A lot of these brokerages are going to go in. It's like, let's learn dot loop. Let's learn all this other stuff. And without the phone skills or the ability to communicate and set appointments, none of the other stuff matters. Right. So and that's something that we're really, really focused on getting these new agents in to understand that it's going to be 
these things that you don't want to do that are going to pay all your bills, right? And that's that's our main focus right now. So um, we have 21 agents right now currently in school. We've primarily focused, not we don't get me wrong, we have a lot of existing agents that have came onto our team, but we have focused a lot on new agents. We've done a very good job of creating a dynamic and a system in which we can get agents up to speed very, very quickly. We're very, very proud of that and certainly getting other existing agents over to a system in which we can actually put processes in place to make sure their business is more predictable, right? And that's something that most agents need to understand. This business is predictable by the actions that you're willing to do, right? Once again, it's your choice whether or not you want to do these things. And that's that's what we try to tell people all the time. Anybody in real estate that doesn't think it's predictable, it's because they're not tracking their numbers. Yeah, that's right. And they're once they track their numbers, they can see exactly how predictable it is. That's why we love Stat Tracker, man. I'm hoping everybody on the uh, you know that's watching this is using Stat Tracker. Uh, what do we say? When progress is measured, progress improves. When progress is measured and reported, the rate of improvement increases. Uh, but without measuring progress, you have no idea of knowing how predictable it can be. Now, I want to back up. I, I love that you said that you know your goal is get them on the phone right away because the reality is. If they're not willing to pick up the phone in the next couple of years, and there's all these people out there who say, oh, no, you're going to do YouTube videos, and you're going to do social media, and you're going to make all this money and blah, blah, blah. And for every one person that has a high level of success with that, I can think of a thousand that fail at it. Uh, and I'm not saying that you can't make money in those ways. I'm just saying that it is a lot more predictable to make money picking up the phone than it is anything else. Uh, and so, 100%. and once you pick up the phone more, you're going to get more deals coming to you naturally from the deals that you closed, right? So I do tell my agents that there is a different level of you know generating leads and then follow up based off of how long you've been in the business and what kind of SOI business you've been able to build for yourself, right? And if you treat care, take care of people, they're certainly going to refer other people to you. So different different type of business. But once again, like Michael Hellickson always says, lead generation, lead follow-up, lead conversion. Those are the only three things that matter. That's yeah, it. Yeah, and, and it's and it's not just one way to lead generate too, right? I mean, and that's what I love about what you're doing. You guys have a very diverse uh, lead flow coming into your business. You've got leads from all types of different sources. And then when they get there, you treat them like royalty. You give them world-class customer service and they become long-term clients. They, be, you know, they become part of your sphere of influence at that point, which is fantastic. Um, okay, but I want to I come back to this whole, you know, when you bring people on board, your goal is to get them on the phone. What do you do with that guy that that won't pick up the phone? Like, does, is there still a spot for them on your team? Do you have like a C team you put them on? Or is it just, hey, man, we're probably not the right fit. Just go be an agent on your own. Well, certainly if they're not willing to hit the, the main requirements, then yeah, certainly that might be not the right fit for us. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain objectives and things that we need to hit on our checklist to be able to be put onto live leads. So certainly we can find out pretty quickly whether or not this business is meant for somebody. And don't get me wrong. If you're not willing to pick up the phone, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful, but it's definitely going to hinder your ability to get where you want to go. I can mm-hmm. tell you that, right? I'm sure there's people on there that are watching this. So like, I never picked up the phone and I had plenty of success. Well, you are an outlier and that's not very common that somebody would have success like that, right? So it's just, you know, being honest and truthful with these people about it. I don't want somebody to stick in this business if they're not willing to put the work into it, right? And there have been times in which, you know what, we've had people at first, we didn't see the light, really the, the light shine, but then eventually they started to realize it. So we do, we, we, we're we pretty fair, but we're also gonna have conversations with our with, with these new agents and the existing agents 
that are coming on our team about what their expectations and what they're trying to get out of the business and really formulate a plan around that. So I guess in hindsight, yes, if you come onto our team and you're not willing to pick up the phone and we can't have a logical conversation about why it's a good fit, then at that point, I, I couldn't see that person being on our team very long. So. Yeah. And you're setting really clear expectations from day one. So it's not like it's a surprise to them. Hey, you want to accomplish this? This is what it's going to take, right? Uh, you, know, you know what? We we go against the curve a little bit on it. We, we, have, we do hire part-time agents, but we build roadmaps and business plans. So that way they can figure out what it's going to look like as they transition out of their current industry or job. Right. So um, it's not something that we're opposed to. And certainly we know that people have to have money coming in to feel comfortable. Right. So that's something that we do a dual dual do deal with quite a bit on new existing age or new agents coming into the business. But it's all about setting expectations and creating that roadmap. So that way, everyone, when, when things aren't going the way that it's supposed to, we can all go back and refer to what we talked about before. And then hopefully it's an easy transition or separation at that point. So. Yeah, but the outcome's predetermined. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. Okay, so what do you think about AI? Like, so, and and I'm bringing this up because you're operating at a high level. Obviously, AI is a huge topic right now. Whether it be text or now, what's all the voice AI that's coming out? We're seeing more and more of that coming out every day. Where does this go? Like, first of all, are you using any kind of AI in your business? And if so, how? And then second. Where do you see this six months, a year, two years from now? Like, where where is this going? Are, are the agents using AI on uh, texting campaigns and stuff like that? We've been using different versions of it with different companies for quite some time. Some being proactive, some being reactive. But really, in all reality, it's it's here to it's here to stay. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think we need to embrace it. I definitely think there's a couple of industries out there that might have a little bit of concern, like copywriters and people in customer service. Um, we're super excited to see how it's evolved, um, on the voice side of it. That's something where I really think that we're, we're really waiting for the next best technology to come out because there's some pauses, there's some stuff in which people will know that it's AI and maybe you're concerned, especially with us being in a smaller market. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to use it. I've looked at a couple of different voice AI companies out there, and I think they're very, very close um, to us wanting to pull the trigger on it. Um, but that's the thing. It's all about making sure that you have as many contacts happening as possible. And it's just, it's pretty incredible what they've accomplished thus far. And it's only going to get better. So, yeah, I've, I, I tell you, it, I, I, I agree with you. I'm not sure where it takes us. What, what I've been thinking is, uh, honestly, I think that your low level ISAs are going to be a thing of the past eventually. I don't know how soon, but I think it's like McDonald's, right? I mean, at some point when minimum wage went to $15 an hour in Seattle, first thing McDonald's said was, hey, we're, we're just going to put kiosks in. Screw this. Like it doesn't, you know, I get for 40,000 bucks, I can install a kiosk and I never have to pay that person again. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think the same thing is kind of happening, you know, look at Amazon go, right. You can walk into any Amazon go now, hold your palm over the palm reader. And, uh, all of a sudden you have full access to anything in the store. You grab what you want, you walk out, you don't even have to go through the checkout aisle. Uh, I mean, truly, I think automation is really taking over in a big, big way. I don't know where that leaves us though. I, I tell you though, that I think that personally, and I, I'd love to hear your take on this. I think it, if agents don't embrace it at some level soon, they're going to get left behind. I think that the big teams that have the budget to implement this stuff at a high level, I think it's going to give them a, a, an, an ability to be 
to operate at an accelerated pace beyond what the agents can possibly keep up with. What, what are your thoughts? Well, absolutely. Especially ones in lead generation that are not using it, right? They're just going to mm-hmm. get they're going to get run over by these people that are using it because it's all about average contact attempts. I mean, that's just what it boils down to. The reality is, is everyone's database is how many times we've been reaching out to everyone that's inside of it. And that's where I really think that people are going to struggle is that if they're not willing to do what I'm willing to do, then they're going to have a really time, really tough time competing against me. Right. Yeah. And we are going to be using this technology because we know that the more average attempts that we get out there, the more likely we are to, to actually convert that client. Yeah, uh, that's that's what the name of the game is. And the people that don't do that are going to continue to keep making the dials, but they're going to be doing it at a much lower speed than what we're going to be doing it. Although the voice, the voice AI, it, it can be pricey for people. It's, you know, based yeah. off the minute. And it's one of those things that I could see a lot of stubborn entrepreneurs who don't want to spend any money that are like, no, I'm just going to continue doing it this way. Whereas the people that are willing to innovate and invest into their business, they're going to just they're going to run right past them. You know, it's funny you say that. We just wrote a $50,000 check to implement some AI into our business and to make it possible for our clients and coaches to implement as well. And and even with that big investment, it's just not quite there yet. It's close. It's really close. Uh, and I think, I man, I think the next six months are going to be such a game changer. Uh, but, you know, to your point, you got to spend the money. And if you don't spend the money, it's really tough to think that you're going to be able to compete because right now, especially there's companies that are acting out of desperation. There's people that are acting out of desperation. The market has shifted in a big way. Everybody's running scared. You got these lawsuits out there now, uh, which by the way, let's, I want to talk about that as well. But you think about all the stuff that's going on in the industry right now, it's been it's it's never been more important than right now to dial up your A game because if you're not dialing up your A game right now, you're going to be out of the business in six to twelve months. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. no doubt. I think the people that are not willing to learn how to have different conversations with sellers and buyers, they're going to struggle. Right? A lot of people that won't adapt to using paperwork that should be necessary are going to struggle. So you know, and it's it's going to create opportunity for the people that are willing to do what's necessary and that do a good job at this business. So that's what we're looking at is I created opportunity. Um, You know, there's people out there that'll say there's going to be things that change, but with any change, there's evolution, and it's how we evolve that makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. I agree, and that's the thing is it's it's that's why you see people that have been in this business and been very, very successful at it over a very long period of time. I'm talking 20, 30 years, you know, they've been through two or three major shifts and sometimes four major shifts in this industry. The common denominator between each of them, you know, is that, that they've managed to make the transition. They've managed to adapt every time the market has shifted. uh, Whereas a lot of people haven't. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, when the last, you know, in 2006, 2007, you had all these people, you know, the foreclosure boom started to hit, you know, it went into the great recession and you had all these agents that failed to embrace REO. I mean, there were coaches out there and I I don't want to mention any names, Mike Bray, (laughs) that were saying, don't get into REO. And the agents that didn't get into REO back then, they struggled. And the ones that did made just a ton of money. But then on the backside of that whole thing, you had, you know, the the agents that were just doing REO and they failed to cultivate their retail business during that period of time. And what happened when the REO boom went away? Well, those agents struggled and some of them went away also. So what does that mean for right now? Where do you see this market going right now? I mean, do you, do you think we're coming into another big REO boom? Do you think it's just... You know, we're we're gonna. I, I don't know. What what do you think we're seeing right now? 
Well, we're starting to see REO tick up. I mean, certainly when you had two and a half years of no REO, any mm-hmm. REO is definitely more than that. Um, we live in a, an area that is a little bit insulated from some of the some of the bigger cities. Um, so in our particular market, I don't necessarily know that we're going to see a massive REO boom. We'll certainly see some. Um, but I mean, if you look at the numbers, there's more equity in homes than there's ever been in the, in the history of ever, right? So I think that there's going to be a lot of people not wanting to trade trade houses right now. So certainly there's going to be some struggles. I think that there'll be some opportunities for some cash out refis in 2024, depending on where rates go, um, as a lot of people are racking up consumer debt. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I definitely know we're going to see REO. I think that on the commercial side, there'll be more. I think there's a lot of people that locked in low interest rates on three to five years deals. Um, and you're going to see some renewals coming up that just won't be able to cash flow the way that they were at a 3% rate. So I would say in the commercial sector, I would see more opportunities than I would in the the retail residential side. Um, you know, I, I still think that there's people that make bad decisions every single day, regardless of whether interest rates are 2.75 or 7%. Um, so um, that, I guess that kind of answers my question. Yes, there will be some REO, probably more on the commercial side. Um, and it's, it's, we were flippers, right? So that's the way we look at it. We, we, we want to be able to buy inventory. That's the one thing that we do a lot in, uh, in our investment business is definitely uh, rehabbing houses and, and reselling them. So we're, we're looking forward to getting more opportunity. We're already starting to see it, already having conversations with some banks. You know, we, we uh, definitely network with local banks where they bring us deals um, before anybody else knows about them, just because they know that we're able to, to perform and we do what they want us to do. So. And you, so you're talking about on your retail flips, right? Yep. Okay. So tell, so let's let's go a little bit deeper on that. Okay. So you're you're contacting local banks, you're having conversations with them, and you're getting them to send you thing you know transactions that are either in pre or foreclosure or right after they foreclose on. What do you where, where are you getting them? Typically pre foreclosure. We've done everything from buying paper. We bought in the paper from the bank and actually took in the took in the properties to foreclosure ourselves. Um, we have times in which banks talk with the uh, potential person. Maybe they're having a, you know, family issues or whatever the case may be. They've got equity in the property. They truly don't want to foreclose. They'll bring me into the scenario and say, "Hey, Kyle, we'll be able to help you out of the situation." And you know, just depending on how that conversation goes, you know, sometimes we might acquire stuff through that. Um, but really, you know, I think the banks don't want to foreclose on people. They're they're trying to figure out ways in which we can all work together where it hurts people's least least amount of possible. And I'm that guy for some of the local banks that we have in our area. So, so talk to me about the buying paper. I think that's something a lot of real estate agents have not really considered. So what does that look like? And do you have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it? What, is, what does that really look like to buy paper? Well, certainly you got to have trust in whatever bank you're going to be going to try to sell on the fact of buying paper, right? Because typically banks want the paper off their books, not they don't want to necessarily give loans back out on it. So, but it can be very, it's it's very risque. Um, you can run into some issues, especially if that client files bankruptcy during the process of buying paper. Um, you could be held up for a long time. But I mean, I can give you an example. The last one we did, we paid six seventy five for fifteen houses. They were on the books at 1.3 ARV of 1.8 million. I think we netted a little, little under 700 grand on that on that package. Um, so it just it just depends. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. Typically, you're going to have to have a pretty decent you know net worth 
for some of these banks to look at it because you might get stuck with that paper, right? And then at that point, all you're doing is paying, paying, paying on it, but you don't have any use of the properties. So it's it's something that's definitely risky, but um, it's it's a way in which you can get a bank to maybe take less money than they would normally get as they wipe their hands clean at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talk to us about that one. So did you have to come up with the six hundred seventy five thousand dollars in no, cash? You were able to use bank, a, a different bank to to finance it. Okay. So, yeah, that's, and that's did, that bank knew that we had reserves on hand. If we had to hold that thing for for two years, they knew that we would, you know, that we were OK. Right. And that's the biggest thing. Actually, in that particular deal, we got super, super lucky in that particular. I don't remember if it was 10 or 14 days after we closed that that sale. He filed bankruptcy. So exactly what I'm talking about happened. Mm-hmm. It just happened after we had already uh, transacted the paper. Right. So. So the good news is you had you had clear title to it. The the downside, or you know, that you owned that I shouldn't say title, but you owned that paper at that point. And so when he filed bankruptcy, you were in a position to be able to deal with it, and it didn't have it didn't cause necessarily unnecessary delays, if I, if you will. Exactly, one hundred percent. Yeah, we would have. Been, I mean, I would imagine we would have been sitting on that stuff for at least a year. Um, as this bank was one of the first ones, this guy owned a portfolio of probably six hundred houses. So oh, wow. they knew that things were going rough. They were all of them were getting to the board as fast as possible to try to get these things off because they knew if they were the last ones, they probably weren't getting anything. So, so okay, so let's let's talk, have that conversation for a second. What happens to a guy? How's a guy go from I've got six hundred homes to I'm getting foreclosed on? What happened? Over leveraging, taking Robin Peter to pay Paul. Um, I don't know the exact situation with this gentleman. But I, I do know that they were ciphering money from one business to another. Um, and I think that that eventually the one, the big business imploded, which imploded everything else. Um, you know, and you, you find you find that with real estate investors sometimes. Right. They're mm-hmm. they're taking money from one project and moving it into the next because they ran into they went over budget or whatever the case may be. You know, real estate investing is very predictable as well. As long as you don't get emotionally attached to the outcome, it can be a very, very profitable business. Um, but I just see people buying skinny margins, right? I tell real estate investors all the time, you're only as good as the information you get, right? So if you've got a real estate agent that's feeding you BS, you're going to get BS. You're going to, it's it's not going to be good for you, right? So I'm um, making sure that you have somebody that's trustworthy, that actually knows what they're doing, understands renovations, understands ARVs, understands what could potentially happen. It's super, super important, right? And this guy, th- this particular guy is a very savvy real estate investor. I just think he had another business that created problems in his real estate investing business, which in turn um, turned everything upside down. But I will tell you, this particular person is back at it again and is having success, right? So they talk mm-hmm. about, you know, people who have filed bankruptcy, you'd be shocked at how many of them are actually succeeding after they did it, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but at the end of the day, I've seen it, I've seen it happen with multiple people. Right. So I think he just fell on bad times and, you know, he, he's picked up, he picked up where he left off. And I, from what I understand right now, he's doing well. So oh, good for him. I'm glad to hear that. So, okay. So very interesting on, you know, as we, as we talk about investing in real estate, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, I, I believe that agents should become their own best client. I know you're doing, you know, not only fix and flips, but you've also done quite a few holds. What's, what are you doing now? What's your, what's your primary strategy right now in today's market? Yeah. So our, our strategy the whole time has always been flip, take money by, by rentals, right? So we started off buying single family rentals 
then we got into duplexes, and then now we now we mostly just invest into apartment buildings. But we're actually looking to to get into a little bit more passive. We run our own, we do our own internal property management. I will tell you that sometimes it's a little bit much, um, but we're firm believers of real estate investing. It's helped us accelerate where we're at in life. It's helped us come up with additional money to start the other businesses that we own. Um, so we're firm believers of. You know, because I think one of the biggest problems that people have when they're scaling with rentals is getting those troughs of money to be able to put into the rentals. So we've always had the philosophy, flip the house, take the money from that, buy rental property, right? So we live off a very, very small percentage of what we what we earn. We, we reinvest. I mean, it's a, a significant portion of what we make, but mm-hmm. we've also got high expectations. Me and my wife want to be retired by 40 and be 37 next month. So we got three years to really get things going and are yeah. semi-retired. We'll put it that way. Um, I want to see this team continue to succeed and really put more energy and effort and allow other people to, to let this thing grow. So, mm-hmm. Talk to us about your margins. You're talking about team margins. Or you're talking about flipping margins. So flipping margins, yeah. we buy... 70% of ARB minus repairs. We're, we're in it to be fair. Yep. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, we want, we were very transparent with what we're doing. Um, especially with me being a real estate agent, we run an instant offer program. We mm-hmm. want people to know their options and you'd be shocked on how many people would rather take, they'd give equity for ease of transaction. Right. So, um, but typically when we, when we're flipping, we're typically around a 21 to 22% net. Um, we pay full commissions on all the stuff to real estate agents. I'm a firm believer that, you know, I need to make sure that I'm putting out what I'm expecting in the, in the real estate industry. So I make sure that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we do a good job of that aspect. But once again, we don't buy with the motion. Everything we do is numbers, numbers based and we build in, you know, some buffers. Um, but we're, we're pretty good. I mean, I would tell you the least, the least amount of money that we've ever made on a flip was 13 grand. Right. So majority of our ARVs between 150 to 200,000. So, you know, high 30s, around high 30s is typical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got some right now that uh, are pretty meaty. I mean, definitely got uh, we have two that should be over six figures um, and one that's one that's really big. Um, and, you know, sometimes they come across and we're very transparent. We got lucky with this particular one on what the renovation would end up being. We thought it was going to be a lot more. And when we got into it, we took the gamble. And luckily, we were able to to come out on the right side of that. But uh, um, yeah, that's 21%, right? 21% net is typically what we shoot for. And we, we don't want to buy a house if it's not. So if it's a $200,000 house, we're shooting to make forty to 42000 so. so what about your buying holds? You were telling us, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, that, you know, some of these guys get into these problems where they're over leveraged in their properties. Well, what does that look like? What kind of leverage? Yes, no, no buy and holds that we have. We have nothing over 65% loan to value. We mm. almost always buy uh, value add. Um, I buy them on fix and flip loans. Um, there are times in which, depending on the property, we might keep them on interest only just to have uh, bigger cash flow coming through so we can buy more investments. Each one of them is slightly different depending on the area um, and whether or not we want to, you know, start paying things down. But, we, you know, we're always buying on the right side. I, I'm not, I don't like skinny equity. Um, so that's similar, but we're at typically 65% loan to value. Um, and how much are you putting down? Uh, typically, uh, if we're doing the fix and flip, we only have to put down 10%. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, good. So I love it. But so with a fix and flip, you're putting down 10%, but you're grabbing the other, call it 55% out of, uh, yeah, so out of adding value by fixing it up. Yeah, typically 50 to 55% is what uh, what what we're actually paying on ARB. 
So if you were to look at the majority of the deals, that's what most fix and flippers will do, right? If you got a wholesaler, maybe they're going to try to scrape another five to 10%. But once again, we run it as a business. It's it's nothing more than a business. And we, we want to be transparent with the people on what we're doing. And it's worked well for us, right? So and just making sure you're as strong as the contractor's and the financing you have around. So I'm a firm believer that everything that we do in life is about the team that we surround ourselves around and making sure we have the right people in the right places. So, yeah. well, okay. And so first of all, hundred percent agree with you. It's, you know, the, the people that you surround yourself with are going to make or break you and not just in your business, but in every part of your life, but especially your business. Um, let's come back to lead sources. So, you know, you, you let's um, talk to us a little bit about what are some of your lead sources? I know you're running a cash offer program, but how are you getting that word out there? Are you buying leads? Are you doing organic leads? Are you doing social media? Are you calling? And we know you're calling. What else are you do? Well, you know, like what, what would be your top three lead sources right now? So we actually have 47 different lead funnels that we use, some much more than others. Um, but our top three lead sources are Zillow, Realtor.com, and then the Google combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, You're talking so, about LSA and PPC? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's we- one of those things that's a long-term nurture. Like I hear people all the time, like the stuff doesn't work. It's like you tried it for three months and you understand why it doesn't work, right? You know, understand that, you know, on Google, you're, you might be lucky to have a one to one and a half percent conversion ratio, and it's going to take you on average 12 to 18 months, right? Oh, that does not sound fun. People are like, I don't, I don't want to sign up for that, right? But we've been building a database for several years um, and really believe in making sure that we nurture the database correctly and having AI and other things inside of our database to make sure that these people stay in our funnel and we stay top of mind with them. So, but yeah, Zillow for sure, realtor.com and then the Google package. Um, I would say that those are the three top. That's interesting. You know, it's it's interesting to hear that you're still using Zillow and realtor.com at such a high level, you know, because for a lot of people that, you know, they feel like the ROI just isn't quite there and all that. And and by the way, hundred percent agree with you on the cash conversion cycle. I mean, you're talking 12 to 18 months before these things pay off. Usually what, uh, what I think that does is I think it creates a scenario where it's even harder for somebody to jump into being a real estate agent now and, and make it in their first year to two years. And, you know, because it's getting so much more expensive now than it ever has been before. And that really favors established teams. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I just, I, I hear people all the time. They say this stuff doesn't work. Right. And it's just because they're not willing to put the energy and effort in it required, or they're not willing to have that initial buffer of what the budget should be. You know, for us, when we did billboards and TV commercials to begin with, I mean, we spent well over six figures before we had success with it. Well over six figures. And people are like, oh, I don't know. I can't do this. I'm going to put one billboard up. That's uh, not not trying to be disrespectful. I don't think that's going to change anything overnight. I think it's going to help you build a little bit of a brand. But you have to be willing to invest in the business. And that's why, you know, that's why we do what we do. So are you still doing TVs, radio and billboards? TV. Right now, folks, we, we've been sticking with TV. We're taking the transition on billboards. We'll get back at it. Um, not, not nothing, nothing against them. I do think TV has been more effective for us, though. Okay, so talk to me about TV. How are you using TV? Are you using? Uh, are you doing like? Um, oh my gosh, uh, what's the new one out? It's uh, Vibe.co, or are you doing something different? To be honest with you, that's a Marcus question and Katie question. <laughs> Marcus is my COO, and Katie's my uh, head of marketing department. But we we do we've been using. Uh, CTV, we do uh, different TV stations as far as, you know, news stations, a mm-hmm. um, lot of stuff on all types of digital marketing. So we run the same message across all stuff. Um, we use a third marketing, uh, third party marketing company that kind of runs a lot of that aspect 
Um, we do negotiate with uh, the TV company here locally um, ourselves. Um, we don't use a third party for that, but uh, it's, it's interesting to hear that. I'm, and I'm I, in, in a lot of ways, I'm really glad to hear that because so many people are so used to, you know, they're doing it through somebody else. Um, and so I love that. Um, I, I love that you're doing it on your own. And by the way, I got a couple of people on right now. Uh, they're making comments in here in the chat that coach uh, Jim Ross uh, saying Kyle's the man uh, and success is boring. Completely agree with you on that. Uh, and then Ruth Nasazi, uh, Coach Ruth Nasazi is saying, uh, this business is predictable based on your actions. I love this. Yeah, I completely agree. So here's what I would ask you then. What, what is the message you're putting out there, whether it be TV, social media, elsewhere? What are you, what are you putting out? I know right you're now it's all about the instant offer program. Okay. Um, we run a Robinson Seller Advantage program, which um, we run a traditional list and sell, an optional buyout, and an instant offer. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people, and I fail... I see it all the time. People people put out this marketing, but they have no USP. Yeah. You know, it's it, uh, so. Let's talk about USP first. You got to tell me what is a USP and 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 what makes it such. Yeah, unique sales proposition, right? There has to be a hook. There has to be a reason why somebody would call you. Just because you say that, you know, you you love to help somebody find their next house. That's not a hook, right? We want to get them, and not in a negative way. I will tell you that there's persona on the campaign that I'm running as a bait and switch or negative thing. I can tell you right now, we're 100% options based team. Everything we talk to about a seller is options, even if they call for traditional list and sell, we're still talking about, hey, I would love to come over and give you options. I think that's what people fail to recognize and being honest and upfront about what you're trying to accomplish. And that's them getting what they want out of the transaction. That's what's important. Well, and to your point, you know, you never know what they're going to want. And it's and it's not going to probably be all the time what you expect it to be. There are plenty of people that will trade convenience for money all day long or money for convenience uh, all day long, Right. And, you know, it's it's funny because when you hear these people, they're selling their house for 70 cents on the dollar or whatever. You think, wow, what a moron. No, they're not stupid. They just want the convenience more than they want the money. And and it's not our job to judge what what's OK for them. It's it's our job to service them in the way they want to be serviced. And so 100 percent. It's 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 all about their decisions and their choices. Just got to lay out everything in front of them and let them make the decision that's best for them. And that's that's how we built it. But I just. I, I, I encourage anybody that's running any type of uh, TV marketing, billboard or radio, if you don't have a unique sales proposition, I, I would start to, at bare minimum, run something side by side and split test it. Um, yeah. Just I, I, I think you're going to really be limiting your calls by not having some reason why somebody will call. Um, and it's it's not saying, hey, it's not I'm going to help you buy or sell a home. That's that's people don't care about that. So I give great service. Yeah. <laughs> free market analysis yeah. <laughs> there's oh a reason God. why people you can see in certain areas have success because they have a specific unique sales proposition that they're marketing towards yeah so. that's right well and so okay so essentially your your usp is simply we're going to bring you an instant offer so immediately as soon as you reach out to us we're going to get you an offer yeah instant offer within 48 hours yeah perfect perfect love it all right okay so let's let's take this to the next level how much does a team like you? So you're you're 32 people on the team. You're doing all this marketing. You got 47 different lead sources. What in the heck are you spending in marketing every month? What's a, what ballpark? What does that cost you? Right now, as far as a whole, I'll have to actually take a look at that. But we're as a whole, we're just under 80,000 a month. We were up well over six figures at the height of COVID, and then obviously adjusted as sales 
um, changed. But yeah, I mean, it's it's expensive to to run this, and upwards of at marketing at our, our height, we were up to fifty three thousand dollars a month um, in just marketing. But we were spending about a hundred over one hundred twenty thousand a month at that time. I mean, people don't realize your two biggest expenses are marketing and personnel. There's no doubt about it, right? It's yeah. a huge slant landslide as far as the amount of that, that money that you're spending right there. So, yeah. but it's worth it. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's every day. It's worth it to me. And we just start to adjust things as, as the market shifted and um, got a little bit more um, fluid in some of these positions as well, where we were allowed to save a little bit of money in payroll and then be able to adjust and, and bring different things into the team. So. Okay, so you're advising somebody that wants because I mean, first of all, those numbers are crazy, right? And I, and I get that. I mean, it's it's a lot of money. Most people are hearing this and they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's insane!" There's no way I could ever be at that level. I don't have a million dollars a year. Um, and so Barnett, what a couple of go for a second there, I'm like, "What is that animal he posted there?" I thought it was a donkey for a second there. I'm like, "Oh no, it's a goat." <laughs> I thought he was calling us a couple of you know what. No, I'm just giving you a hard time, Barnett. I love you, brother. Barnett's on uh, on uh, Omar Harper's team, and uh, Barnett crushes it as well. But you know, a lot of people are listening to this thinking, "There's no way I'm spending a million dollars a year in marketing at my level yet." So what do I do? How do I like? What does the new guy do? What does the new girl do? The girl that you know that's thinking about, Hey, I just want to start a team. I want to get going on a team. What's step one? Well, step one is to figure out where you're good at. First and foremost, if you're trying to scale on things, it's definitely knowing where your strong suits are and what, who you need to help surround yourself. Right. And that was my sister, Nicole. Um, when I was an individual agent, I knew I got to the point where I needed a little bit more organization. So I called my sister, Nicole, right. Interviewed 10 people. And I'm like, I know I want her and I eventually can, uh, got her convinced to come over and help me. Uh, but that that's the first step. I think a lot of times people start to focus on wanting to do these other things when they don't have the basic fundamentals down, right? So me was working open houses, literally did four open houses every single Sunday, um, was able to create revenue based off of that. And then I started to chip away at little different lead sources, started with Realtor.com, started to focus on Zillow. But it just depends, right? I, I, I do think that in our area, teams were not emergent over until recently, probably the last five years, there was really no teams. Um, and that's that's where the, the limited resources run into a lot of people and it really stalls them out from being able to get their true potential. Um, I was at a previous brokerage and I would see a lot of people that I thought could do more um, and they were just okay with it because they were okay with the limited resources that they had and it didn't allow them to really vision what life could be with the right resources. Um, but like I said, I think the first thing is understanding your strong suits, getting somebody to help you surround yourself on that because the most important thing for you is being on the phone with those clients and customers and going out and showing those properties. Right. That's what you need to be focused on is that activity. What can what can you do to bring somebody in the background to help with the other stuff? Um, and then once you start to scale from there, depending on what your your goal is, what your price point is, what what you can do in your, your area will depend on how fast you scale this. The reason why I started a team, though, is because I real estate had overtaken my life and I wanted to get my life back. And I figured if I could pour into more people, yes, in terms of ROI based off of the going on the appointment, yes, I get less per deal now, but I got a lot more sanity and now I get to empower other people to be successful in life. And I truly found out that that is actually where I need to be. Um, and it's been absolutely incredible since I had that that self-recognition of, hey, you know what, I can help other people do this and 
be gratified at the same time. So it's it's been an amazing experience and we look forward to continuing to change lives. So well, and if you do enough of that long enough, eventually you'll get what you want, right? You'll make the kind of money exactly. you want to make and you'll have the freedom in your life that you want to make, but or that you want to have. But man, it, it really starts with, you know, you got to decide you're passionate about it. You know what I mean? Because frankly, if you're not passionate about building a team, I would go so far as to say it's a huge mistake to start up a team unless you're just absolutely passionate about it and you really are committed to, hey, I'm going to make this team successful no matter what. Uh, because it's not easy. You know, you talk about having the the resources, you know, let's just talk about money, you know, and, it, and it, it would be delusional for people to think, oh, you don't have to have money to grow a team. I mean, the reality is it takes money. Uh, and especially as you transition from being a solo agent to being a team leader, you actually go backwards financially before you go forwards, right? Because, you know, you're, ha- you know, when you're just the solo agent, you, you, you make it, you keep it, right? No big deal. But now you're going to start bringing other people into it. You got to buy them leads. You got to buy systems for them, CRMs, technology, staff, support, leads, everything. And all the while you got to pour yourself into them, which means more of your time as well as money. And oh, by the way, that takes you away from your production, which is what's funding the whole freaking thing. I mean, it's tough, right? The funny thing is, is when You've had like, you know, you've had an agent transition out and then they go and they start buying lead sources or whatever the case may be. And then they come back to you later on. They're like, I understand why you were acting that way. I give leads to these other people and they do nothing with. And I'm like, exactly, exactly. Only a small percentage of people actually truly want to win it in this business, right? Until they actually feel that pain firsthand and financially see how there's not the return that they expected. And then at that point is a realization that like, I don't want to start a real estate team or this was a mistake, right? And, and don't get me wrong. I will tell you, it's very painful in the middle. The middle is the most painful, right? Like when you're trying to transition yourself out of production and you're expecting all these other people to work as hard as you are, oh, that that's when financially people fail. There's yeah. that's 100% is when you, and a lot of team leaders transition out way too early, right? Way too early. They expect that things are just going to miraculously pick up and the 70 deals a year they were doing is just going to be made up by other people. That's just not how it works. No, right? so no, but. it's not. It's, it's a lot more difficult than that. And it's a lot messier than that. And that's, that's why so many people fail at it. You know, I think there's a lot of people getting in, you know, to building teams and they get really soured on it right away because they realize wow, this is a lot harder than just going at it on my own in the beginning. Now, that being said, what they're seeing and the reason why everybody's attracted to it is because they see Kyle Robinson at tier, you know, freaking six where, you know, he's doing 500 to a thousand transactions here and making it look easy. Well, yeah, he makes it look easy because he worked his butt off for how many years? I mean, holy cow. Speaking of which, I want to come back to one other thing. So let's talk just briefly. I want to, I want to ask you about coaching really quick. And, and then I'm going to, I want to talk to you about coaching and then I want to talk to you about the lawsuit. And, and this is a big one, but let's start with coaching. So you started coaching with Club Wealth, what, three years ago? Is that right? No, I would have been uh, 2019. So four years ago. Yeah. Okay. Four. Your best year at that point was what, about 250 deals a year? You're at 228. 228. And you went from 228 transactions to 750 transactions in what period of time? Two years. Yeah. In two years. years. Yeah. That's lightning fast. I mean, that, especially at that level, that's lightning fast. I'm hoping that coaching had something to do with that because, you know, obviously. 100%. There's, there's no doubt about it. I'm a firm believer that you, that you're the sum of the five people you hang, your, hang around. Um, I'm a big proponent of personal and professional development. 
Um, and I want to be in the right rooms, the right time with the right people. And that's what we pour into our team, right? They have their own mastermind every single day with us, right? And really empowering people. But coaching has definitely been a pivotal point in my life, getting people to tell me about the things that I already know, but I need to focus on. I mean, I had some very amazing coaches through Club Wealth that have really helped us understand what scale actually looks like. Another thing that in a, one of my biggest competitors, same thing, we got outside of this market, we realized it could be much, much bigger than what we had origin, originally thought. Like nobody in our market had ever sold over probably 160 to 180 houses, whereas both me and him were, you know, he, he was up over 500, we were over 700, um, continued to roll. Um, and it's just, it's, it's getting outside your comfort zone and understanding, you know, and I've I'm a big proponent of get around people that you don't know that are going to help lift you up. You know, a lot of the people that we do know, they're like, oh, you're doing a great job, but you're really hindering your true potential by by thinking that way. Right. And that's what Club Wells really helped me understand that uh, life could be much, much bigger than what I thought it would be. So I love that. Thank you for that. You know, and and I got to tell you, though, I've watched you do this, not just with real estate sales, but with real estate investing as well. You know, you're coaching with Club Wealth on the real estate sales side, and you've got other coaches on the real estate investing side. And I love it. And one of the things I love about you, Kyle, that I don't think, I don't know if people really recognize this in you or not, but I sure do. And that's, you know, I like to knock people off their bike, right? Like I, I like to punch people in the face and be like, look, man, you're screwing this up. This is terrible. Like, why are you doing this? This is like, you're, you're crazy. This is dumb. Do this instead. A lot of people take that hard. A lot of people, you know, when, when they hear stuff like that, they don't like it. You freaking love it. Like you just eat it up. And what, and what I mean is like, you want people to tell you what you don't want to hear. Like I see that in you a lot and you just embrace it and you, you analyze it. Like you really internalize it. You analyze it and you figure out, okay, what of this do I, you know, and, and you're, you're good about separating, you know, what's just somebody's BS from what you really need to hear. But as you hear this, like what I see you doing and, and I see your wheels turning inside, I see you analyzing, you know, okay, what lesson do I need to take from this? How can I implement it in my life? And is it going to move the needle for me or not? And and then if it is, how do I implement it? What's the habit that I need to change to implement that? Would you say that's a fair assessment? Absolutely. 100%. And that's, that's, what, that's what's allowed me to open my mind up to something that's much, much bigger than what was happening in Bettendorf, Iowa. Right. And it's 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 taking that constructive feedback and really actually putting action to place. Right. It's one thing to be told something. It's another thing to say, hey, you know what? I identified that it is that is a weakness that I have. And this is what I'm going to do to actually improve on that. Right. And that's I mean, I spend six figures a year on this stuff. Yeah. Um, personal professional development to, mm-hmm. to make sure that I have the right people telling me, you know, and instructing me. It's not telling me, it's instructing me that, hey, Kyle, if we were to focus on this and do these things, this can change what we're doing right now. Right. And that's, and, and I'm not one of those people that sits, the way that I did it today is not necessarily the way I'm going to do it tomorrow. And I tell my team that all the time. We have to be willing to change for the betterment. Right. And, you know, sometimes people have issues with that. But most of the time, people understand that we're doing this so that way it helps us all succeed and helps us get further along whatever path that we're trying to go down. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. Constructive feedback is what's built me to the the person I am today. But Um, but that requires a level. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I got to throw this out there because it requires a level of humility that that is not often found in people at your production level. And, and, And that's that's why I bring this up. You know, I I hear 
so often from major producers, you know, people that are doing, you know, north of 500 transactions, 700 transactions a year and more that they want to grow. They want to scale. They want to this, that, and the other. And so often at that level, you get people and right now, we'll give you an example. There were 38 people in real estate uh, last year that did over a thousand transactions. There were 60, I think 68 that did over 500, if my numbers are correct. Um, and I look at these people and I think, you know, there's a lot of them are in club wealth. Uh, and a lot of them are people I know, and a lot of them are good, humble people, but there's also an awful lot of ego at that level. And what I find is that they get so detached from their business and they get to a point where they they don't think they have anything to learn. And I see you, Kyle, I see in, in every meeting I've ever been in with you, I've seen you taking notes. I've seen you really, really listening and learning whether the person talking was doing more business than you or less business than you, or they're just doing something different than you are. If, if I could, if I could pinpoint one thing about you besides, so there actually, I'll say two, one is humility and two is the constant desire to learn. And, and I think that's a lesson that I want everybody to take away from. Like I'm, I'm seeing Lee Garland's on here right now. He's like, Hey, you got the big man on And Yes. Coach Lee, we've got uh, Kyle on it. And uh, you know, I think about you and I think about Lee and I think about other people like you guys. That is, that is a common trait that I see between high earners and highly, highly, highly successful people is that desire to learn. And you mentioned moments ago that you're spending over six figures a year on your education. That's another common trait that I see with people producing at a very, very, very high level who do that consistently over a long period of time. I'm not talking about the flash in the pans. You know, I had a couple of TikToks that went viral and all of a sudden I'm making a bunch of money. I'm not talking about that guy, right? I'm talking about the guys that are and the people that agents that are, and not just agents, but anybody in any field that are really highly successful and that are, they're, they're constantly reinventing themselves. And the only way they can do that is by constantly learning. So I want to give you the final word on all of that. Give me the final word on you start over today. I drop you into any market anywhere in the country. You're going to be successful. You're going to struggle. What's what, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? How's it going to be different than what you've done in the past? Yeah, it's not going to change whatever market I go to. At the end of the day, when I came into this market, don't get me wrong, I've got a big SOI base, but I built this business off of people that I've never met before in my life, right? That's, so I'm not concerned about going into any market. What I am concerned about is the resources that I have in that market, what resources are available to me, and then really focusing on what actually is going to drive the traffic that I need to get what I want out of it, right? So I just, I think that, I think a lot of us make excuses. And, and the reason why I spend money on personal and professional development, like Coach Lee is my coach. Um, it's absolutely incredible. Some of the conversations that we have and some of the smallest, minute things that are just so simple, but we consistently talk about things over time. And it's like those little things register at different moments. Um, and that's the thing that I, I've always learned in life, even since I've been in school, as I go take notes, I'm always there to listen, right? And I think a lot of times people look at maybe a conference or whatever the case may be, and they're like, oh, I have to be learning the entire time. I'm one of those guys that goes there. I just need that one little nugget, mm -hmm. that one little nugget that's going to help propel me on the next thing that I'm doing, right? And that's why me being a real estate coach helps keep me sharp. It's one of those things that I was a little hesitant to get into it. And then once I got into it, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, this helps hold me accountable about the things I'm talking to with my coaching clients, right? And it's just, it's absolutely incredible, the peer-to-peer -peer system and how it works, um, especially with the way Club Wealth has it set up, you know, that you're always coaching with somebody that does more production than you. It's just helping you get to that next level exactly when you need it. 
And that that's the key thing in life, right? Is that we need to understand that we're going to continue to transition. We're going to continue to evolve. And it's making sure we have those right people in the right times that these things are happening to us, right? Mm -hmm. And another thing is, is being willing to ask questions, ask dumb questions, actually get out there and figure out yeah. what you truly need. Even if somebody's like, oh, you should have already known that. You know what? We talk about stuff all the time that I should have already known, but I'm glad I asked, you know, and it's, it's. I, I, to your point, I love that you're not afraid to look stupid. You know what I mean? Like you have no problem saying, you know, what the heck are we talking about here? How's this even freaking work? Like you have no problem being the guy to step up and say that when everybody else in the room is probably scratching their head too, but everybody's afraid to say something, right? Cause they don't want to be the guy that looks stupid. No, man, the smartest guy in the room is the one that's not afraid to look stupid. It's the guy that's willing to ask the question. So Absolutely. You know, if you're not the day that you're not willing to learn is the day that in which you're going to hinder your actual growth and the trajectory of where you're headed. Right. I, uh, I'm a firm believer that even if somebody's only sold one house or zero houses, I can still learn from that person. Right. Yeah. It's all about those conversations in which you can empower them and through those nuggets, not only help them in life, but then sharpen your skills as well. Well, here's a great, great example of that. You know, I'll use Nicole Gaudet as an example. I mean, Nicole's not produced at your level. She does very, very well, uh, but she hasn't produced at your level yet. And yet I have a hunch you've learned a thing or two about GLSA from Nicole. Absolutely. Uh, Nicole's you know? a giver 100%. She just yeah. pours into people just like everybody in this group, though. And that's that's that one of the biggest proponents of why people stay in this group is because we're all in it together. Right. And that's the key thing. I think at the, the one thing that people need to understand is competition happens at the bottom. Collaboration happens at the top. And it, it is so true. So, so true. All my buddies that are that are doing great in life, they're all willing to tell you exactly how they did it. Right. Yep. And there's a, I think there's a proponent when you're coming up through things in which you're like, man, you keep things close to the chest. You don't really want people to know about it. But when you actually start to tell people about how you're having that success, that's when the success even becomes more apparent and it, and it continues to grow and grow and grow. Right. Well, yeah. Cause your mind processes at that point, you know, you can, when you're telling somebody about it, you know what I'm saying? Hey Kyle, here's what I'm doing. Here's how it's working. Blah, blah. All of a sudden in the back of your mind, you're thinking, wow, I could tweak that and I could do even better. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, at the end of the day, I can tell everybody exactly what we're going to do, but we know a very small percentage of people are actually going to go do it. Right. Yeah. We're all given choices. We all get to wake up every single day the same way as everybody else. It's up to us what we do that day, though. Right. So don't let anybody don't don't give excuses to people why you're not having success. I promise you, you're just one choice away from having the success that you're looking for. I 100 percent agree. You know, as you're saying this, it was coming to my mind that, you know, you're talking about the collaboration and everybody helping each other and everybody's, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're ego free sharing what's working, what's not working. But what, what really hit me hard too is about haters out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure you get them from time to time. I know I definitely do, but you know, what's funny is I've never seen anyone cast shade on anybody from above. You know, nobody that's no, nobody hates on the people doing less than they are. And, and so what am I really saying? Generally speaking, when somebody's and this message is not necessarily for you, Kyle, it's for the people that are watching this. But and, and I'm sure it's for you and me, too, at some level, because we still have to deal with this. But at the end of the day, guys, when somebody's hating on you, just understand that, that really all they're doing is they're just hating on themselves because they're not where you're at. And, and so don't don't be angry with them. Pity them. Feel bad for them. You know, help them find a way to, to bring them some value. It's funny. I had somebody hating on me just the other day. I mean, just really being not very nice on social media. And so, you know what I did? I just picked up the phone and I called them. <laughs> and they were a little surprised by that. 
and I had a great conversation with them. And I'm really glad I picked up the phone, you know, and my, and when I picked up the phone, it wasn't to confront them. It was to see how I could bring value and see, you know, what I could do to make things better and to, you know, and to, to, to help them in some way. And it turned into a wonderful conversation and it, it, it you know, who knows where that goes from there? I don't know. Well, so. that's, that's what it is, is being willing to pick up the phone and have a conversation about it. Right. Whereas with most people, if they figure somebody's doing something like that, they're going to distance themselves away from it. And it's, that's everything in my life right now is about running head on at it. Right. And that's something that, you know, what I have struggled with, I think we all struggle with running head on at issues, but that's all I can do. I think sometimes my agents get a little bit frustrated with me on strategical situations when they tell me the issue i just go straight to solving the problem yeah i ask them how to solve the problem but that's all we're focused on because i think the problem with most real estate agents is they hide in the corner because they have these issues and they're not willing to talk to somebody about it i can tell you right now you'll always have one client that takes more of your attention than anybody else right but it's how you solve those problems with that client how fast you do it that's going to help you be able to help all those other clients right and that's the thing that people need to understand yeah right but 100% agree coach Kyle i i got to tell you man i could talk all day with you i want to be respectful of your time i love you brother i'm so grateful for you you know and i know you know that you help people you've got to know deep down that you're helping a lot of people but I'm here to tell you, Kyle, that you are inspiring more people than you realize. Uh, you have no idea how many people are following your journey and how many people are are listening to what you have to say and the impact that that's having on their lives. And so personally, I just want to thank you for everything that you do for me, for Club Wealth, for everybody in Club Wealth, for everybody that just comes in contact with you. Just keep being you, brother. Just, just, like, just keep being you. I appreciate so. that, Michael. You bet, man. All right. Well, good stuff. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, and uh, what I'm going to ask is that anybody that uh, that feels like you got value from this, comment in the comments. Any questions you have for Kyle, ask him in the comments. Uh, I would also suggest this next time you've got somebody in Iowa or in Illinois um, and uh, that you're thinking, you know, needs a, a good real estate agent or a wonderful world-class real estate agent, well, reach out to Kyle. Uh, and if you've got somebody that's thinking about a career in real estate, definitely reach out to Kyle because I can tell you right now, if you want to succeed in real estate, there's no better team in the country than Kyle's to be successful. So Kyle, how would we get a hold of you? How would people reach you? Easiest way is to shoot a message to me on Facebook. So I've got two Facebook accounts. Um, one, just shoot a message to either one of them and uh, certainly we'll reach out. And you can find me on the Club Wealth website as well, or his contact information is on that. Or my email is krobinson at trgmove.com. So. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Coach Kyle. I will see you. Uh, I think we've got an event coming up soon, don't we? Uh, and as one of your markets, I can't remember which one, but hopefully I'll get to see you there. Yeah, our next we'll I'll take a look at the calendar. So, all right. Sounds well, good guys. Have an awesome day. Thanks a lot. We'll see you hey, and for those of you that want to see more of these club wealth, uh, TV episodes, go to clubwealth.com forward slash TV clubwealth.com forward slash TV. And, uh, we'll certainly, uh, you'll, you'll see there that you, it'll give you the links to the, uh, our podcast, whether it be on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it's at, it's all over the web. So, uh, definitely join us there, join us on YouTube and we'll see you on the next club wealth TV. Take care, everybody. Peace. 87%. Yeah, that's the percentage of all real estate agents that get in the business today that'll be gone in two years. Let me tell you something. The why is there so much turnover in real estate? Because it isn't easy. And because most people don't know exactly
exactly what they need to do to get to the next level. Now look, regardless of whether you're brand new to the industry or, you've, or you're a team leader, you've got 40 people on your team and you just wanna to get to the next level. If you're doing 10 transactions a year, you wanna to get to 25. You're doing 500 transactions a year, you wanna to get to 1,000. You're at 1,000, you wanna to get to 10,000. Let me tell you something, you need the right coach. Why? Because Club Wealth is the only coaching company on the planet that will literally guarantee that you will double your income or make at least an extra $100,000 your first year coaching with us, or we will give you 100% of your investment back. This is for people of all levels. Click the link below, sign up for the appropriate tier level, and let's get you a strategy session today. And I promise you, I 100% guarantee you, promise you that you will walk away with a heart full of gratitude for the time that we took for you because you got so much value out of that call. Schedule your strategy session today. I promise you'll be glad you did. Sign up for a strategy session at clubwealth.com slash strategy session.